Welcome to the Highlands Current Podcast. I'm Chip Rowe, the editor of The Current. In each episode, our reporters will take you behind the scenes as they speak with residents of the Highlands about their interests, passions, and adventures. For this episode, reporter Michael Turton sits down with Alex Finkelstein, who owns Big Mouth Coffee Roasters at 387 Main Street in Beacon. Mike first interviewed Alex in 2020 for our five questions feature, but told me recently he had been impressed by Alex's knowledge and had many more questions about coffee and the process of roasting coffee that he wanted to ask. So I said, get him in the podcast booth. So grab your own cup of joe and sit back for a listen. Here's Mike and Alex. So Alex, I have this theory I want you to help me with that uh, my theory is that everybody has to think of themselves as superior to something else. So like if you ride a Harley, you're superior to the Japanese bikes. And if you're a Yankee fan, you're certainly superior to the Mets. And we won't even talk about Democrats and Republicans. But as a big coffee guy, like, do you feel pretty superior to tea drinkers or what? I mean, if anything, I think tea drinkers are superior to coffee drinkers. (laughs) The ones I've met, at least. (laughs) That's funny. You may not want to broadcast that. You seem more level-headed. So how long have you been roasting coffee? Roasting coffee specifically about five years now. And yeah, that that sounds crazy coming out of my mouth because it feels like much less time and, and, and much more time at the same time. Yeah. And you have to be, or you can be certified, right? As a, an official coffee roaster, there are courses you take. Yeah. I went to many classes yeah. and workshops and stuff like that. It's a rabbit hole. Yeah. So from my really basic online, something less than research that I did for this, but it seems like there's coffee grown in at least 80 countries in the world. So in your mind, is there a country that produces the best coffee or is it more complicated than that? It's definitely more complicated than that. Especially nowadays with all the research and development in specialty coffee, you can't really say that a a coffee from one particular country or even one particular region within a country is better than any other. Obviously, there are some rules of thumb taking into account altitude and the climates Mm -hmm. of, of some of these places, but there's really amazing, some of the best coffee in the world from everywhere. How many of those countries have you used, do you think, at uh, at Big Mouth in terms of how many countries have you brought coffee in from? Somewhere between 16 and 20. Wow. I suppose. Yeah. That's quite a bit. So you mentioned, you know, regional differences uh, in coffee. Would there be differences in the quality or the character of a coffee, even farm to farm within a given region? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Microclimate, like I mentioned before, the type of soil, Rainfall, humidity, everything, the variety of coffee. There are a lot of parallels between, again, specialty, quote unquote, coffee and like the wine industry in terms of the different varietals. How is fair trade doing in the coffee world? Is that thriving, do you think, or is it a ways to go? Fair trade, the designation so I get this question a lot, this and the and the organic that was next, so. designations. <laughs> yeah. So again, specialty coffee is different than commercial grade coffee. Specialty coffee basically means that it's been graded, cupped, graded, scored at above an 80 by Q graders, which there are many certifications and tests and things like that to, to become a Q grader. So is that 80 out of 100? Like 80 out of 100. So we... At Big Mouth, 
we deal in coffees scoring over an 84. So we're all 84 plus. And um, it's really difficult, I would say, borderline impossible to get that high of a score from a coffee that isn't organic. That's experienced chemical input on the micro lots and the farms and stuff like that. So there is a little bit of redundancy when it comes to like the organic designation. It's kind of just a label that individual farms or cooperatives need to pay for. And But overall then organic generally means a higher score. Sometimes the farms and farmers just don't have the resources to pay for some of the chemicals that they would like to use in, you know, commercial grade coffee. But I think fair trade is somewhere around a dollar fifty, maybe. It's in between a dollar fifty and two dollars a pound for green coffee. And we're paying three, four times that amount. Oh wow. So it's another thing with with a little bit of redundancy, but people do really like to see those labels. And a lot of people do understand the fact that there is a certain amount of marketing going on with those designations. So you mentioned uh, green coffee, and I was going to show my total lack of knowledge to ask if all coffee is picked when it's fully ripe. Ideally. So coffee, it's one of those plants where the cherries, we call them, they ripen at different rates, even on the same branch. And that's one of the things that that separates specialty coffee from commercial grade coffee is the picking methods, the harvesting methods, and making sure that all the cherries being harvested are a certain color, a certain shade of red. That makes sense. I mean, you pick apples, you want them to be the same degree of ripeness, I would think, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So... I see the big burlap bags you have at uh, Big Mouth. What are they, 50, 100-pound bags? Or? They are 70 kilos. 70 kilos. So that's so, even more. Yeah. yeah, they're about 150, yeah. 160 pounds. So do the beans, do they age well, like in that bag, or is the goal to use them as soon as you can? So inside the burlap sacks, there's something called a Grain Pro, which is an agricultural storage bag. It's thick plastic, and it's tied really tight at the top. And it keeps the coffee much fresher than just a regular burlap sack. It helps the beans, it helps them regulate their moisture content and stuff like that. keeps them fresher for longer. Does it age in a sense? Yes. They say six months and the more experienced coffee tasters will be able to tell when a coffee is past crop from a previous harvest. But if you store it well, three months, six months, I try not to let anything sit for more than, you know, four months tops. So I've always thought that if I order a dark roast, that that would be a much fuller, richer flavor than a light roast. Am I correct in that or am I off base? It's another one of those subjective things. We get a lot of questions from people that want our strongest coffee. And we say, do you want more caffeine? Do you want more fruity floral flavors? Or do you think of strong coffee as, you know, bold, more bitter tasting notes, smoky, more you know, the classic. Yeah. So in terms of uh, caffeine, does the caffeine level vary a lot from like type of bean to type of bean? Or is it the roast? Does the roasting affect the caffeine level? It's mostly the roast level will affect the caffeine content. So as you're roasting, literally cooking the coffee, you're releasing hundreds, if not thousands of compounds. And one of the things that gets cooked out is the caffeine So lighter roasts tend to have slightly more caffeine than darker roasts by volume. Yeah, I would have guessed the opposite, but then... Yeah, that's one of the many misnomers about 
coffee yeah. or you yeah. know, misconceptions. So is good decaf, is that an oxymoron or what? Up until about 10 years ago, I would have said absolutely. But along with everything else, there's a lot of research and development going into different decaffeination processes. There are a lot of people focusing on decaffeinated coffee in the specialty world now. They developed a new process to create it that makes it better flavor. Exactly, yeah. So coffee used to be decaffeinated with harsh chemicals, acetyl, you know, methyl, uh, whatever. Sounds bad, whatever it is. (laughs) (laughs) But I guess about eight, ten years ago, a lot of people have heard of what's called the Swiss water process Mm. and we use mountain water process which is basically the same thing they've figured out how to separate out the caffeine with just water Mm. should i even ask about instant coffee yeah Uh, are there good instant coffees around yeah there's lots of surprisingly good things that used to not be good about (laughs) coffee instant coffee out west i know verve out of santa cruz makes instant specialty coffee And I've heard really good things about it. Hmm. Uh, I think, if I'm not mistaken, they were one of the first to dive into that world. And it caught on to some extent. I mean, I know roasters and people in the coffee industry that won't touch it just out of principle. Sacrilege, right? Yeah, I mean, but curiosity is what got me into everything. So, you know, I I might not prefer it, but Hmm. I'd love to try it. So you mentioned uh, cupping a a little bit back in the uh, the interview here. What, what is cupping exactly? Cupping is the analytical way to taste coffee. It's a very specific ratio of coffee to water. You use these bowls and a very specific grind size, very specific temperature of your water. And it's a good way to taste a lot of different coffees in one sitting. Basically, you know, you'll have a, a cupping table yeah. with a full lineup and you just go down the line and slurp out of a spoon. And, so you're kind of slurping but not really swallowing a lot of coffee. Yeah. People get to use spit cups yeah. usually. I remember uh, 60 Minutes did a thing many years ago about the people who worked at Ben & Jerry's Ice Cream, the tasters. And they inevitably all put on 20, 25 pounds when they started to work there. So do you worry about too much caffeine intake when you're uh, doing the cupping? Yes. And I learned that the hard way. Uh, Yeah. What happened? I like to think that I learned from my mistakes, but I I, I make the same mistake almost every single time I cup coffees. Because it's usually in the afternoon. I'm usually well caffeinated already beforehand. And I um, usually end up vibrating. Yeah. Until... 3 a.m. Oh, wow, that's not good. <laughs> we won't talk about the sleep part then. <laughs> yeah. And kind of along with that, my perception is that every year there's a new study that comes out and says caffeine, coffee are bad for you. And then there's another study that comes out that says coffee's actually pretty good for you. So I, I know you're not going to speak ill of coffee overall, but what do you make of, of the whole um, health thing? Is it matter, just a matter of nothing in excess or what's your view on that? Yeah, I mean, they say the same thing about eggs and I don't know. There, there. I feel like there are a lot of studies of a lot of everyday foods and beverages and stuff like that that the research keeps flip flopping back and forth on. Right. Personally, if it took a few years off my life, I don't pay attention to it. I, you know, <laughs> it, it's what I do. It's yeah. it brings me a lot of joy. So I'll I'll take I'll take whatever consequences <laughs> come my way. So if I wanted to get into coffee roasting and do it at the same scale that you did, what would that coffee roaster cost me? How many? How much of my allowance do I have to save to buy one? 
depends on the roaster you want. You can get some cheaper ones, but as you can imagine, there's a lot of moving parts and a lot of very small gaps and very specific things that they need to be doing. So you're talking new car. New car? New car. Wow. And you can finance them just like a new car. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you get a used one that's in decent condition, maybe 15 grand. Wow. The most expensive ones of medium size, 50 grand. Wow. So I like to make soup. Me too. Because it's very forgiving. Like you got to really, <laughs> you have to really mess up to make bad soup. So is, is roasting coffee somewhat similar or is it very exacting? Is it just a matter of temperature and time? At the basis of it, it is temperature over time. In specialty coffee, people are very precise with temperature probes, with watching the beans on profiling software. We use one called Artisan. It plots the temperature over time, the environmental temperature, the bean temperature, and you can keep an eye on things like rate of rise. Rate of temperature rise? Rate of rise. Yeah, so okay. you, you're looking for a few very specific things, and you have to get to know each coffee pretty well before you, before we at least, feel like we have the right roast profile for mm. it. So I have to ask you. Why did you pick the name Big Mouth for your uh, shop? Did you have someone specific in mind when you uh, chose that? <laughs> so people are always surprised when I tell them that there's no story <laughs> behind it. Something that bothered me about the specialty coffee industry was there, there's a lot of pretentiousness. There mm -hmm. can be a lot of pretentiousness and uh, what they call gatekeeping and people trying to, you know, act really fancy and stuff like that. That's changing. And, uh, you know, I'm not yeah. even close to one of the first people that tried to make specialty coffee more accessible and available. Yeah. But that was something that I, I really wanted to make sure I wasn't doing. And, you know, we've got Tony the Hippo as our mascot, <laughs> as our logo. And one of the many name and logo combinations that I was thinking of. And it, it kind of just worked. To me, it says we're serious, but we don't take ourselves too seriously, you know. Work hard, play hard. Right. I always rebel against that a bit too. With There's that huge uh, coffee chain from Seattle whose name I won't mention, but they have like <laughs> Venti and Grande for the different sized coffees. And I always refused to use that name. I'd say, no, give me a medium, whatever you call it. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, they've changed everyone's vocabulary. Right. Even drink names are, are different because of that company. That company. <laughs> <laughs> so, I actually don't like their coffee much either. I find it kind of bitter. Yeah, they wouldn't consider themselves and nobody would consider them specialty coffee. Yeah. So I consider myself like a basic drip coffee guy. And like the Yankee fan who kind of looks down on the Met fan, <laughs> I'll admit I kind of snub my nose at the latte, cappuccino, <laughs> espresso, blah, 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 coffee drinkers of the world. Sure. So how is my drip coffee holding up against all the competition that Starbucks and other uh, companies sort of popularized. Like at Big Mouth, what percentage of your coffee over the counter would be drip versus the more specialty coffees? About half of all the drinks we do are drip coffees. Yeah. And I think that is, it should be, in my opinion, the backbone of any good roaster, any good coffee company. Their drip blend, their house mm. blend, our house medium blend, big blend is super versatile if it tastes good on batch brew, on drip, that's the most important thing. It yeah. has to be good no matter how, how you make it. So I don't know the language of coffee. I know wine has its own language uh, 
from, from very sweet to very dry. Mm-hmm. In my words, I like a coffee that is, I consider mellow, smooth, almost maybe leaning towards being sweet. I don't know what terms you would use for that end of the spectrum. I was more interested in, how do you describe the other end of the spectrum, like really strong coffee? Like surely nobody likes coffee they would describe as bitter or or do they? It's a really fun thing. Anyone who's worked in retail or specifically food service probably has had to deal with describing things in an accurate but pleasant mm. sounding way. So in specialty coffee, we call the darker roasts traditional, uh-huh. classic, um, comforting, nostalgic mm. when, yeah, I mean, they are all those things uh, for a lot of people. And it's all about personal preference. I mean, some people tell us they like bitter, bitter coffee. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's a funny thing to kind of figure out the the terminology of describing things that you yourself may find unsavory, mm. but talking to customers yeah. is a different thing. <laughs> I love the terminology used for wine. Like they'll say it's a very approachable wine. Yeah. And I've never figured out what that means. I guess you can walk up to it on the shelf without being worried, you know, that it's going to explode or whatever, but. In wine. Yeah. It's not going to, it's very approachable. It's not going to insult you. Um, Yeah. Wine. I I don't know too much about wine, although I, I am learning. I've heard some very interesting tasting notes from coffee and from wine. I know some wines can be described as, uh, Farmy, Barney, hmm. which doesn't really seem like much of an effort to cover up any sort of unsavory yeah. tasting note. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's pretty descriptive. Earthy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, I've definitely tasted wines like that. I've read that um, for people who uh, grind their own coffee at home, that a burr grinder is preferable to a blade grinder. Is there a discernible difference? And how do you grind coffee at your shop? I think one of the, the the biggest downfalls of the home coffee drinker in their efforts to dial in their coffee making process is the grinder. You can buy the most expensive coffee machine and the most expensive coffee, the highest quality. Not that those two things are always the same, but if your grinder isn't dialed in or if you're using a blade grinder, you can get wildly inconsistent grind sizes mm. in your filter in your brew and that translates to different levels of extraction mm. the finer coffees will be much more over extracted and the coarser ground coffee will be under extracted and mm. you'll probably have some properly extracted coffee in there but mm. um, so is a burr grinder is the burr is that like a gear does it crush the bean as opposed to slice it yes okay. yeah and you have conical burrs cone shaped and you have flat burrs yeah. They fit inside one one another, and they have these blades that move and grind coffee very e- evenly. Yeah. So is that what you have at the shop? The commercial version of that? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Our espresso and bigger shop grinder, all burr grinders, flat burr, conical burr. Yeah. I did a story a couple of years ago, speaking with the owner of um, Industrial Arts Brewery in Beacon, just on the edge of Beacon, and he said one of the one factor that either influenced his move to Beacon or he was very happy about when he moved here was the quality of the water in Beacon. He was really sung the praises of the water, hmm. municipal water in Beacon. Would you agree with that? And uh, do you filter your water at, uh, at Big Mouth? We filter the water, but all of the water that we had tested during the construction and mm. when we were figuring out what kind of machines and plumbing to install, everything that we tested came back almost perfect. Huh. We have some 
pretty basic filtration sim- systems, but for the most part, Beacon Water is is remarkably, you know. So would you recommend that for home uh, coffee makers as well to filter their water, like a Brita filter or whatever? Or is it discernible, I guess, the difference? To most people, it won't be discernible, especially if you live in Beacon. I would say taste your water if you care that much. Yeah. And... You know, a lot of it is psychosomatic too. Yeah. I've found. <laughs> Power of suggestion, right? Yeah. I know. have better coffee because I have a filter. Right. Or yeah, the I'm filtering water, the water. The water tastes better because I filtered it. Yeah. So it's time to get personal. I'm ready. <laughs> what coffee do you drink on your own time and how do you take it? I think we're pretty similar people. I drink drip coffee. I drink Big Blend on drip every day. And I don't know how much I drink because I'll get 75% of the way done with my cup and I'll just refill it. Uh, and I'll do that several times until 2 p.m. It's probably a good thing you don't run a brewery. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, yeah. gu- I'm, I'm guessing you'd take it black. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Black. Yeah. And part of that is for, you know, quality control reasons. But I do love if your house blend is good on batch brew. That's the most important thing. Yeah. You know, and we do we do enough QC with our single origins and, you know, pour overs and cupping on at least a semi-regular basis. To, yeah. So I know everything's tasting the way it's supposed to. But if most people are going to be interfacing with our coffee is drip, I'm going to drink it like that and make sure that everything's up to, up to yeah. par. I cheat a bit. I use a bit of half and half, which is probably sacrilegious or something, but. Not to me. <laughs> no. Whatever, whatever you like. All it's right. all about personal preference. <laughs> yeah, Call, it is really. It's a very ritualistic thing that everyone has a different relationship with. Yeah. So I'm guessing you see the same customers most mornings too, right? Yeah, we have a lot like, of regulars. Like creatures of habit. Totally. Yeah. Before any of this, when I was a barista, and I think most baristas will agree with me here, I don't get the names of a lot of our regular customers, but I know their drink order. <laughs> And sometimes we refer to our regular customers by their drink order. Yeah. Oh, the, you know, the, the guy with the, you know, he wears the cowboy hat and the he's got the long white hair. Um, <laughs> and someone else will be like, oh, uh, medium, medium. <laughs> medium, medium. Or, you know, large dark roast. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah, that guy. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. <laughs> so, but this is, a, this is really the question I've been waiting to ask the whole time. So the new web telescope is apparently like 100 times stronger than the old Hubble telescope. So my question to you is, do you think that this new Webb telescope is going to find evidence of coffee being grown somewhere off in some distant galaxy? Are you hoping that? There is no amount of preparation that could have prepared me for this question. (laughs) Um, If there's life on other planets, there has to be coffee on other planets, don't you think? I think... Absolutely. (laughs) And I think any extraterrestrial species, any form of intelligent life would be drinking coffee. I think that's a good good note to end on. A (laughs) a floral note, we'll say. (laughs) Thanks, Alex. Otherworldly. This has been great. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Highlands Current Podcast. This episode was produced by Zach Rogers and recorded and edited by Johnny Taylor of Beacon AV Lab. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe, leave us a review on your listening app of choice, and consider becoming a member of The Current. The paper and website and this podcast are offered free to the community, paid for with support from our readers and listeners. 
To join for as little as $24 annually, visit highlandscurrent.org slash join. That's highlandscurrent.org slash join. Or catch up anytime on the latest news at highlandscurrent.org or pick up a copy of the print paper every Friday. Thanks again. I'm Chip Rowe, editor of The Current, and we'll see you next time.